Hello, everybody. This is episode 32 extended. Now, on the full episode this week that was called Progressive Tattooing, I told you that I was going to share with you the full interviews with Doreen Gardner and Tamara Santibanez. And what I didn't realize is I pretty much put the whole thing with Tamara in that episode. So what I've got here for you then is the rest of my conversation with Doreen. So that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, I want to mention that if you are in Austin, Texas for the Star of Texas Tattoo Revival, January 31st through February 2nd, you can get tattooed by Tamara and or Doreen, as well as Virginia Elwood, who you heard on the show in episode 28, and Sophie C'est La Vie. That's all happening at the Saved Tattoo booth at the Star of Texas Tattoo Revival, Taddy Khan. So if you're there, go get tattooed or at least go say hi to all of them. And one last thing before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Go Reminders. Eliminate no-shows, save time, and increase revenue with Go Reminders. It is simple. Automatic appointment reminders via text messages and email. This pays for itself with just one avoided no-show appointment. It's easy to get started, get set up in 10 seconds, and try it completely free for two weeks. This is all automated. Once you enter the appointment information, Go Reminders automatically sends a text message or email to your customer about that appointment. This can also be customized to provide more info. Do you have multiple locations? You can make sure that these automated reminders are specifying which location the customer is booked for. And that is just one of the many ways that you can harness the true power of Go Reminders. Do you remember my episode with Julie Moon from Season 2? I do. It was good. It was a fun one. Well... Here's a testimonial about Go Reminders from Julie Moon Studios. They said, We have had only one no-show in the past six or seven months that we have been using them. And that was after 10 no-shows in a couple weeks before starting to use Go Reminders. So what else do I have to tell you? Head over to goreminders.com slash books closed right now to get a 10% lifetime discount on your account. You'll get started today with that free two-week trial and level up your customer experience all while helping efficiently manage your own booking. GoReminders.com slash books close for a 10% off lifetime discount. And let them know that, sorry, uh, I gotta go. I have an appointment to get to. And now let's get back to my conversation with Doreen Garner. And again, if you missed that first part of this one, make sure to go back to episode 32, Progressive Tattooing, and check that out. Looking back to when you were a kid and you saw the temporary tattoos being given out and you thought, I could do that. And then you did. Where do you think that confidence comes from? Um, I don't know. I think recently um, I've been noticing a pattern with myself. And it's that I, I like enter into these uh, white male dominated communities. And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, like I really try to make space for myself. And um, I'm really determined to make my voice heard. And so... You know, I think that, you know, I don't know, that's just something that has increasingly become important to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Which, what was the question again? We can cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the root of your confidence, because I could. Oh, right, I, right. I think I could before talking to you, I could have assumed that as you've I mean, because you've taken like the the educational path of learning art in a real way. And I know that that can create confidence. And as you do more things and in in more projects and you get more recognition for your work, then obviously you're going to become more confident in the things you do in the future. Yeah. But it sounds like you've had that confidence all along and that's what interests me. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've had it all along. Um, there were definitely some 
years where I was like in particularly shy. Um, and I think that I ended up gaining more confidence while I was in grad school. Um, and it was because, you know, full grown adult lady, um, but being put into these situations where I did have to like combat, um, blatant racism within an art institution from 19 year old kids. Um, and so it's like, okay, you really need to figure out how to be a leader and how to teach people how to treat you. Um, and also not tolerate any bullshit by any means. And so, um, I think just, you know, by growing up and growing into myself, I've just been increasingly confident and also surrounding myself by other strong black women, you know, their strength in numbers. And, um, you know, I just feel like that's also been a large component of just me, you know, feeling like I can do it more so because I have people behind me that are like pushing me and counting on me to, you know, get that done. Yeah. So this will sound like a dumb question, but I'm going to lob you a, an underhand toss just for a discussion's sake here. Why do you think it's important for more diversity to be, uh, I guess, introduced into tattooing? Um, I think it's, it's more important. It's important for there to be diversity in tattooing, um, mostly because a lot of the tattooing practice has come from um, cultures that are dominated by people of color. Um, and so I think that it's, it's responsibility to um, bring that focus back to them. Um, I think that there are many people of color that want to participate, participate in body modification and there aren't many spaces where they feel safe to do that or people that they feel safe enough to do that with. And so um, it's important because the conversations need to change um, and the interactions between people need to change in general. Um, I think by including more people of color in different shops that it's just going to provide a different clientele, a different experience for people. And I think that, you know, people will be able to come together and appreciate the process and the movement as one rather than separately. Um, and I don't know, I, I think that by including more people of color, that's the only way to start to diminish a lot of, you know, these legacies of white supremacy and tattooing. So as someone who's self-taught, how do you go about seeking information? It's just like technical information about tattooing. Right. <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah. Um, it's hard when you have guidance, so to not, yeah. not have as much. Yeah, it, it was definitely hard. Um, and I think I ended up struggling the most with um, using not the best equipment. And, you know, I'm just like going, like doing these tattoos over and over. I'm like, why are they coming out like this? Like, why are the lines clean? It's like, oh, because I'm using these shitty needles or, um, so, you know, after a while, it's like, you know, someone comes and tells you like, you know, like you can buy a better machine than that. Or like, you know, you, you should probably buy needles from this company instead. Um, or maybe like, you know, work with this ink instead because it's a little less messy. And so, um, you know, just as I was like, tattooing and practicing um I was just constantly like you know asking people for advice so like you know asking like Tamara and Anderson for advice like oh like I'm having trouble with this like can I come by and watch and so you know there were definitely times where you know I just popped up at Saved and like sat there for a few hours um and just really watched them work and like have conversations with them and ask them questions while they're working 
um, which was really great and generous. Yeah. Yeah, I guess most people starting out who are self-taught don't have access to such great tattooers either. So yeah, that's no. like truly a luxury to, <laughs> to have resources like that that are willing to share with yeah, you. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you see tattooing as a performance art in itself? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think tattooing has a, so much to do with submission and dominance and vulnerability, um, building intimate relationships with, you know, clients because, you know, I think tattooing is probably one step away from sex as far as like intimacy is involved. It's like, you know, there's body fluids coming out, um, you know, a lot of like touching, stretching. I even think that, you know, the shaving process is very intimate and sometimes uncomfortable for me um, because it is so weird. Um, yeah. Most people don't let a stranger shave their arm yeah. or their leg or whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's really gentle and subtle, but um until you yeah. until you give them a little little slice by accident Oof. before and they're bleeding before the stencil goes oh on. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> worst nightmare. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think all those parts are really performative. Um, and even like thinking about medicine, just like putting on the gloves and like setting up your like green soap and witch hazel and all this stuff, and like you know setting up your machine. I feel like it ends up looking so close to a surgery, um, and you know. For the client, too, they're really, like, counting on you to know what you're doing and, like, kind of, like, dominating them and, like, putting them in their place so that they know, like, how to hold themselves during the tattoo and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that they're okay, checking in with them. And so, yeah, I feel like, you know, in some ways I'm performing as, like, a surgeon and also a nurse and also a healer. It's a lot of hats to wear. Yeah, so many hats. And then you also have to try to do a nice tattoo on top of all of it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always amazed at how trusting people can be when they get tattooed, especially if they just walk into the shop and they say, I want to get this little thing. And then they're, they're not even always necessarily choosing me to do their tattoo. It's just I'm next up and I do their tattoo. And instantly they're just trusting of it. And mm-hmm. sometimes that can backfire on people, unfortunately, when you when you deal with like inexperienced tattooers or like people who don't have their customer's best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a similar feeling to someone going into a doctor. They, it, you know, they see the gloves, they see all the stuff like you're explaining it and it, they snap into that mode where they're like, I'm in a place where I'm safe and people know what they're going to do to me and I just need to go with it. Right. I mean, ideally that's how it goes. People are trusting, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't always happen. <laughs> but overall I think it's, I don't know. Some people make it weird too. <laughs> oh yeah. Way. No, some people are totally predatory um, and exploitative. Yeah. On both um, sides, client or, or I yeah. mean, the tattooer has a, like a place of power in this, you know, as far as like the balance goes. So that's obviously predatory if it's uh, yeah. abused. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so recently you did what is, what was truly tattooing as a performance art. You were tattooing up on stage. Yeah. What was that all about that? I saw the photos and it looked pretty, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm like, I'm still like coming down off a cloud from that experience. Um, that was the weekend that I had messaged you. It was like yeah. the day before that. And then you didn't get back for a little while. And I was like, I'm just going to give you some time. Cause that was probably a crazy weekend. Right. Oh no, it was an insane weekend. Um, yeah. So we did a tattoo performance at MoMA PS1 on March 3rd. And um, it was me, Tamara Santibanez, Anderson Luna and Tommy Martinez. And um, we did a series of performances Um that was all a part of um, alternative modes of penetration. And, um, you know, a lot of it focused just on um, the process of tattooing and the experience rather than the imagery that comes out at the end. Um, and so 
with Tamara's performance, um, you know, that one really focused on submission and dominance. And um, there were um, there was um, bondage that happened. And then Tamara um, tattooed um, the person that was being bound um, mother's name on their abdomen. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that tattoo process was silent um, with some meditation music. Um, and then with Anderson and Tommy's performance, um, Tommy connected contact mics to Anwar's skull. Um, and then um, Anderson tattooed Anwar's head. And so um, there was a mic also close by the tattoo machine. So you could hear the sound of the tattoo machine on its own, but then you would also hear the sound that was transmitted through um, Anwar's head. And so you um, kind of would hear the sound surrounding the room. So there were eight speakers um, in the dome at um, PS1. And so you actually heard the sound that came from the inside of Anwar's head, which is really crazy. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so Tommy was actually like throwing the sound to different speakers. So like, you know, you were totally in it, um, which was really great. And, um, and my performance was a little bit different. Um, so while we were doing a lot of the practicing for the performance, um, Originally, we wanted to do a um, performance where we attached an EEG machine to a client. And then when we tattooed them, the data from the EEG machine would generate an image. Um, but the thing about the EEG machines is that's kind of like pseudoscience. And so we couldn't get any real um, dramatic data to make an interesting image. Mm -hmm. Um but while we were doing a lot of the practicing for that, I just told Anderson, I was like, oh, you know, let's just like, you know, do some lines on my hand just so we can like figure out if, you know, the spikes are going to happen. Um, and so he did that. And, you know, the next day I was just looking at my hand I'm like, oh, I like it. You know, there was no ink or anything. It was yeah. just red. And so then I just started, you know, thinking about, you know, the idea of like a I don't know, kind of like a torture where there's no like um, image in the end, like thinking about the tattoo process, just the process on its own and not the image. And so um, so then, you know, I was in my bed one night and just like thinking about random shit. And uh, I started thinking about the scarlet letter and how, you know, you have to wear like the A for adultery. Um, and so. I don't know how, but I was just thinking about like turning the A sideways and I'm like, oh, okay, it forms a triangle. And that also forms the image of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, and so I was thinking about ways to use this as an idea. And so um, I did an Instagram post where um, I put out an open call for white boys. And, um, and so I ended up getting about six uh, white boys on stage and um, you know, I would select people in the audience, people of color, um, to choose who was going to get tattooed. And so basically they ended up getting a scarlet letter on their chest, which was, um, the image of the transatlantic slave trade, um, but with water. So a lot of the redness from their skin, from like irritation and blood actually made the scarlet letter itself. Oh, yeah. it's a lot of layers to that. Uh-huh. And that's what I mean. You're bringing this fine art brain into the tattoo world. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting to me because it, this sort of stuff, it, I mean, through the years we've had like, you know, Ed Hardy will do museum exhibitions and he'll curate stuff, but it's all like very much just showing what's happening in tattooing or what's happening in his, his world of tattooing. Mm -hmm. So to truly 
bring tattooing into a venue like that in such a in such a way that you would see other fine art you know applied to it it's it's such an it's it's new and mm-hmm. it, you know i've never been part of anything like that and i think it's so interesting especially with uh like the pop-up events and the stuff the, the ways that you are doing tattooing that's just like not the norm at all right and i i think that also comes from me being self-taught because i like you haven't don't, you don't like, feel the boundary yeah or, or like yeah the restrictions. Like, yeah i don't really know you know all the unspoken rules because i just haven't been in those spaces a lot and um yeah so i feel like that has helped me to just think about it in a completely different way where I'm just like kind of like tossing myself in the middle rather than like, you know, slowly like working my way up. It's like, Oh, like what if I do this? (laughs) Um, you know, how's that going to change things? And I feel like because I don't have like all that history, um, that I'm just able to like think out of the box a little bit more. Right. Which I think the more you do it, it's just going to set an example for a lot of other people to do the same thing. And I think that's how change will be spawned from yeah. people like you who are, who are not, uh, you know, restricted from. Yeah. And it's crazy, too, because, um, you know, I'm friends with so many um, artists in the art world. And it's like, oh, they, you know, want to practice tattooing, too. And it's like, oh, yeah, like you can do it. Um, I really like the idea of um, people being able to collect art um, on their own terms. And so, especially like thinking about fine artists and like painters and sculptors, um, who have like a very real practice, like, you know, that are being shown in the Whitney Biennial and like, um, all these other art fairs and all these other places. Um, what does it mean to be able to collect their work, like as an investment? Um, and also like thinking about, you know, in some cases when pieces end up getting put in auction, um, the problems of that, like, oh, okay, I sold this painting for $5,000 and all of a sudden now it's worth a million dollars in this auction house. Um, and that's something that I'll never get back. And so, you know, in a way, I think that it's a really interesting um, way to collect art um, where you're not necessarily losing any money as the artist, um, but you're also allowing people that appreciate your work to have what do you think about that? The commodification of art and it's even, we're seeing in tattooing now, a lot of people are like a lot of customers are treating it just like as a commodity. Like you owe this to me. This is your job. Like just do your job. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that similarly in the art world, you're allowed to, you know, choose your own, choose your own exhibitions, um, choose who gets to collect your work. Um, and, and so I think in that way, people, you know, should be able to take the liberty to do that too. Like, no, actually, I, I don't want you to have one of my pieces. Um, and you know, of course that also has to be for the right reasons. Right. What is invisible man tattoo? Invisible man tattoo. Um, that was a project that I did last year, um, at recess, which is a nonprofit art organization. And they have a residency program where, Um, It's really centered around public engagement. Um, And so, you know, that was around the time when I was like, you know, starting to practice more, um, but also really had an interest in, you know, figuring out how I could bridge the gap between my art practice and my practice as a tattoo artist. Um, And so I ended up coming up with Invisible Man, just thinking about some of my past experiences in tattoo shops throughout the years. Um, you know, you walk into a tattoo shop and the walls are filled with flash and, you know, it's like, you know, exciting, 
and also like overwhelming. Um, but as a black person, I never felt like I saw anything that I that mirrored my experience or people that looked like me at all. There's such a huge void. Um, and so, you know, while I was thinking about that, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I can like, you know, create a tattoo shot where that is the main focus is filling up this void where, um, you know, black people have not been celebrated, like even thinking about like American traditional styles of tattooing, like where are the black people? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so that process, that whole project was focused on like celebrating, um, the black, black people and the black American experience, um, and black excellence. And so, you know, a lot of the flash in the, in that shop was just focused on that. Um, but also, you know, just allowing people, um, to feel like safe in that space. Um, you know, it's an art space. So, you know, general in general, it's going to be a little bit different from like a, you know, standard storefront tattoo shop. Um, but yeah, I felt like people were really into the project mostly because, you know, it's so different from anything that they had ever experienced. Um, but that it was also really rooted in, you know, the fine art world. So what did you get out of doing that? How did it make you feel after? Um, it made me feel really great because um, people were so into it. And I ended up getting so many submissions for tattoos. Um, and even still, like, you know, people are reaching out like, uh, hey, I remember like you did this image in Invisible Man. Like, are you open to still doing these images even even though it's not going on anymore? And so um, that project, it lasted about two and a half months. Um, and I don't know, I feel like there definitely is a need for more of it. Um, people are always asking me when I'm going to do it again. And so it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. now I know it's like, the, like people want this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that also goes towards, uh, you know, this argument that there aren't any, there's no one that has ever asked for it or wants it. And it's like, no, that actually is a total lie. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting to think that the imagery of tattooing has been so homogenized up to this point and even still continues to be. Um, when our, our clientele is infinitely diverse. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to make a restaurant that serves everyone's taste, you're not just going to sell grilled cheese sandwiches. Right. You got to like expand what your, what your offerings are. Yeah, exactly. Grilled but cheese. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> Good reference. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a more plain food that might not <laughs> attract everybody, but maybe that would. Maybe I need something more specific for that example. And like I said earlier, that's what I've always loved about tattooing. People bringing in, this is an image that resonates with me. Can you do this for me? And then you know, you got to do at least some amount of research sometimes to track down uh, an image and to make sure that you're doing it right, not like mirroring details that are oriented towards the left or the right or whatever it may yeah. be. So I feel like I've learned so much about symbolism and culture and things that I would have never encountered without tattooing. Um, but I feel like the longer that, or maybe the more that you do those events and stuff like that, it's just going to become what you do. So people aren't going to be like, oh, are you still doing this thing? They just know that this is what Doreen is uh, offering. Right. Yeah. Which, which is probably going to feel pretty cool too. Forever. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it feels amazing. Um, well, yeah. And even, even like thinking about how people kept questioning me about when I was going to do invisible man tattoo again, um, you know, just this past February, um, I did the black Panther project, which basically was like, you know, it's kind of like a little mini version of invisible man tattoo, but, um, I created this, uh, black Panther flash where, 
um, you know, 28 people got the same tattoo, um, but in different parts of their body. Um, but I was thinking about like, I don't know, camaraderie and also um, just like having shared experience and the idea that, you know, at some point two people might be at a concert and see the tattoo and be like, oh, my God, Doreen did your tattoo. And like, you know, just have this like little small community um, based on like solidarity and the Black Panther movement and everything. Um, but, yeah, I feel like shared image can go a long way. Plus, the Black Panther is like one of the coolest tattoo images yeah. that ever existed. So. <laughs> <laughs> so to give even more depth to that, I think is is even cooler. Yeah. And yeah, it really resonated with me um, when you were saying about someone looking to get tattooed, looking for someone that they can relate to or that they can connect to. Because I never thought of it, obviously, because I've always felt that because the tattoo world is like geared towards me. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, I really... I, I like that perspective on it because it makes me think, you know, it really makes me consider that sort of stuff where I wouldn't have before because it hasn't been my experience that I have to, mm-hmm. um, in that original invisible man event mm-hmm. compared to when, when you're just tattooing normally, um, as if it's like two totally, <laughs> you're still, right. you're still doing tattoos <laughs> either way. But, uh, did you find that the, like the conversation with the clients at that event was much different because it was attracting a certain kind of person that was really there for more than just the tattoo? Um, yeah, I did. I did think that the conversations were uh, much different. They were definitely like, you know, way more, more woke than before I did Invisible Man. Um, but afterwards, um, I think that because people were more aware of me being available as a tattoo artist for them, um, that my clientele has changed. The demographic of my clientele has changed. Um, and I think mostly at this point it's black women. Um, And so, you know, a lot of it has just, you know, transformed into like this sister girl moment where it's like, yeah, girl, like, I don't know, it's almost like salon talk and, um, you know, it's really healing and comforting um, to like, you know, be two like strong black women in a space, you know, just sharing and like, um, you know, having conversations. But, you know, I try to keep the conversations light too. Right, because um, it's heavy to tattoo all day and you got to like really take is. on people's burden sometimes or like, yeah. you know, the weight of what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, you know, they're asking me about how I got into tattooing, um, but also like what I do. Cause like, you know, I also, um, am a professor at Tyler school of art. Um, and so, you know, I'm talking to them about my class schedule, um, talking to them about the sculptures that I'm working on for shows. Um, you know, asking them like what they do. A lot of times there's like people, um, coming from school, um, or like that are in an MFA program and they're just trying to figure it out. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of that and, you know, just me also asking like what kind of shows they watch, you know, just bullshit conversations. But, (laughs) um, but I, I think that, you know, the conversations have been easy. Mm -hmm. There haven't been really been any that I've struggled with so far. Yeah. So my favorite question to ask usually because I'm seeking wisdom from others for myself. So I'll ask this for selfish reasons, although I'm sure people listening will enjoy it too. But how do you balance or like, how do you go about time management? Oh God. You you do a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do so many things. Um, And it was even worse last semester. So uh, last semester I was teaching two classes um, in Philadelphia twice a week. 
and um, also tattooing three days a week. And then at that point, I was in my studio one day a week. Um, so that's like nine days a week. I can't. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, but I mean, now it, it's a little bit more moderate. So um, I'm teaching like a grad seminar class where they come up every other weekend. Um, I tattoo at Saved right now from Sundays until Tuesdays. Um, and that's because I'm working on my solo show, um, which is a sculpture show that's going to be at JTT Gallery um, that opens April 21st. And so I basically, I got like a little under a month to get my shit together. Um, we got to wrap this up then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got shit to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, but it really is hard to balance. It's hard to balance all the career things, um, you know, with the fine arts practice and the tattooing, but also like how to care for myself, like how to make sure gets put last. Yeah. How to make sure I don't get burnt out. Um, how to make sure I have time to spend with my friends. Um, and you know, I mean, to be kind of personal, like, you know, I recently, um, you know, broke up with my fiance. And so, you know, even thinking about how time management has an effect on your relationships, um, and so, you know, it's it's just like you really have to figure out, like, what's most important. Sometimes thing it has to be like a seesaw. Um, but really, I don't know. I don't know how I make it work. It just works. <laughs> There's almost no choice but for it to work in some fashion. Yeah. And, and actually, like, I've been trying to get better about it, too. This year, I like I'm trying to set like really concrete goals. And so um, one of the things on my list is to like plan three different vacations. Yeah. Yeah. You almost have to structure it like it's of equal importance to yeah. the stuff, you know, the goals that you're trying to do with through your work and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And do you feel like the more stuff you take on, it forces you to improve your time management or is it just like at an all time chaotic, hectic level right now? Right. Um, I used to say yes to everything. And, um, and now I feel like, you know, I'm becoming, you know, a lot wiser and I'm definitely delivering a lot more no's. Um, and I think that, you know, that just helps you to stay sane, um, because, you know, thinking about your life, um, time is the only thing that you can't get back. And so, you know, why plug it up with all these, um, tasks? Um, I feel like I don't make enough time to enjoy my life. Um, and so, you know, in some ways, you know, having all these responsibilities does like, you know, give me some structure because I think otherwise I might never leave my apartment. Um, but then also like you have to balance and, and figure out like when you're overworking yourself and when you're just like, you know, burning at burning a candle at both ends. Yeah. And I've always looked at creativity as being like, it's like a well that's self replenishing, but you can spend it too fast. Yeah. And so if you're saying yes to everything, which is easy when not a lot of people are looking for a yes from you, but the more people, I'm sure people are asking for all kinds of shit now. And there's no possible way you could do it all. And if you did, half of it would be stuff that just feels like busy work or like something that you're not really putting yourself into. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, you know, you get asked to do these projects and um, you need time to think, you know, Um Especially like, when you set the bar pretty high with things that you've done in the past, you don't want to start putting out yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to, you know, dilute the quality at all. Yeah. The expectation is very high. Yeah. <laughs> and it only gets higher. At least it feels that way. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. the curse of like finding little successes along the way. But exactly. I guess that's what pushes us at a certain yeah. point. 
Do you think that having the formal art education has helped you to see the value in your in your own work and your time? I think that the formal art education has um, improved, like my social um, dynamics. Uh, just like figuring out how to, um, you know, talk to people about their work and their practice, but also um, how they carry themselves within these spaces. Um, and, um, how to have like the more difficult conversations. Um, I don't know necessarily how much it's made my work better, but it's made me think differently as far as like, you know, research is concerned, um, and accessibility by the viewers and what it means to be an artist, what it means to be a viewer. Um, I think, I think that it's improved those things, but um, I think the art comes from within in general. So that's nothing that, you know, school can really improve on. It it just helps you to think in a different way. Right. It just gives you different tools to like pull it out of yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I asked because a lot of people who, uh, you know, they, they learn art through learning to tattoo. Basically they don't have the foundation that you had before you, before getting into it. I feel like it's, it can be difficult to look at what we do without that foundation and, and put any value or feel like what we're doing offers a value. And then it's, it can be easy to shortchange yourself. Right. I mean, especially thinking about like the environment in tattoo shops, it's like, yeah, you might have a tattoo shop where everybody does really great work, but it might be, you know, a totally toxic scenario for, um, you know, people of color, queer people, um, where they don't feel safe. And so it's like, okay, so, you know, you don't have the social etiquette to like maintain like uh, a, a positive experience for a client, but you can provide a great tattoo. And then it's at, at what point, which one is more important, you know, like, yeah. I think they're, they should be pretty balanced. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah. Cause I think if you're socially inept, then you're going to, you can't, do it long term because yeah. you're not going to have any clients left. If you don't treat people well, that's you know we can't do tattoos. We can't do tattoos without the customers. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, why live your entire life being an asshole? Well, there's that too. <laughs> but I think the hardest part is real is identifying in yourself that you're an asshole. Yes, yes. <laughs> Otherwise, no one would be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess lacking that context for yourself, if you are in a place where you don't have the best surroundings then you, it's possible you could never learn. Mm -hmm. There are people that are 90 years old that are pieces of shit in every way. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately they're not going to learn at that yeah. point either. And I, and I will, I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to tell you 90 year olds who are listening. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. Suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> are you starting a podcast? I am going to start a podcast. So, um, yeah, but also going towards, you know, that question that we already asked, like, the type of conversations I have with my clients. Some of my clients are really crazy characters. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to, you know, start this podcast called Different Strokes for Different Pokes. Oh. Uh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> and then there's also an after hours show called Just Pokes. Um, you got it all figured out. So you're I so know. structured in your approach to all this stuff. Yeah. It's well, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, and I also used to have a radio show with my friend Kenya too. So I have like a little bit of experience in that. But, um, I just think that, you know, there are so many ways to, one, um, make yourself more visible as a person of color is practicing tattooing. 
um, also highlight your clients that are amazing people um, and, you know, live amazing lives. And, um, and also just like, you know, have people want to be a part of that conversation um, because some of the things that we talk about are really enlightening and I feel like it all should be shared. Yeah. And I've thought, I mean, from what I've learned from doing this podcast for the past year is that the ability to share ideas and information and opinions is so efficient through this format that people are willing to sit down and listen for an hour every yeah. week of you, you talking. And I, I think I underestimated that because I assumed it was like, cause I'd made YouTube videos and stuff before this. And you see like the average retention, right? You make a 10 minute video and on average people will watch for like two minutes. So I'm like, well, if I make an hour podcast, they might catch the first six minutes. Right. But then I find that people are totally willing and totally engaged with it. And I, I've never had more feedback than from these hour plus long conversations that I assumed people would tune out for. Right. And so, and then the other thing about podcasts that I think is so great is that it almost, it almost pays to be in like a super niche. Because you don't have to appeal to everyone. It's not like you're making Good Morning America where you have to like do a cooking segment and then talk about politics and then talk about celebrities and like you don't have to appeal to everyone. Mm -hmm. And that within tattooing, although there's a handful of tattoo shows out right now, um, there's room for so many more voices. And I don't think people are going to run out of an attention span to absorb all that stuff. Right. So I think your approach to it is probably going to bring a perspective that is definitely not being represented in, in the way that you're going to be able to do it. So I'm interested to hear it. Yeah. And I wish you, I wish you a lot of luck with that. I can't wait to Thank hear it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Doreen Garner. Check her out at Save Tattoo in Brooklyn, New York. All of her info will be in the show notes. And once again, thank you to Go Reminders for sponsoring this extended episode. All of their info is also in the show notes. So you can find your way to that 10% off lifetime discount. And that's all. Thanks for spending some extra time with me here this week. And I will see you on the next episode.